Did you know that in the UK, approximately 60,000 babies are born prematurely each year? And that births occurring before 37 weeks account for about 40% of all admissions to a neonatal unit? In the UK, preterm birth rates are higher than in all other European countries. Although survival rates are improving, those at the extremes of prematurity suffer significant levels of mortality and morbidity. The proportion of live births before 24 weeks has steadily increased since 2010, highlighting the need to improve care during the perinatal period to ensure that when these babies are born, they have the highest chance of survival and that morbidity is reduced. One initiative aimed at improving the outcomes of preterm birth is the Maternal and Neonatal Safety Improvement Programme, also known as MATNEO-SIP. The MATNEO-SIP supports the national ambition of reducing maternal and neonatal deaths, stillbirths and brain injuries by 50% by 2025. It focuses on several work streams, including the optimisation and stabilisation of very preterm infants through seven specific interventions. We'll explore each of these interventions in a little bit more detail over the coming months. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Aleri Adams and Anda Bowring. Aleri Adams is a consultant neonatologist and honorary senior clinical lecturer at the University of Oxford. She heads up the Neonatal Transport Service for the Thames Valley and Wessex and is leading the Neonatal Girth Review, which is a national quality improvement project. She's president of the British Association of Perinatal Medicine and is currently chairing a new framework for practice outlining the expected neonatal service standards for airway management. Anda is an advanced neonatal nurse practitioner. She's based in a tertiary level three neonatal unit and together today they will be discussing optimal cord management for preterm birth. Good morning, Anda and Aleri. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Um, we're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so talking about optimal cord management and as it fits in with that overall context of um, optimising a baby that might be born prematurely. Can I direct the first question to you, Aleri, um, just to provide some context to why this is so important as part of that optimization bundle? Yes, thank you, Michelle. Um, I think I just wanted to raise a really important point around how much prematurity actually impacts child mortality. And there's been a, a very recent report from the National Child Mortality Database uh, outlining the impact of neonatal care on mortality and prematurity is responsible for seven, nearly 70%, 69% of deaths in the in under ones. So this is a huge impact um, on mortality. And as we know, uh, most child mortality actually occurs in the under ones. So it's a massive, massive impact. And we also know that um, uh, from, from the work that's been done, that early optimization, and that's talking about all of the things that you're talking about in your podcast, uh, can have a major impact on mortality 
and morbidity outcomes. Uh, but I think it's particularly so for um, delayed core clamping, which has a, a nearly 30% reduction in mortality in the infants that are under 34 weeks. So has likely to have a very significant impact on that overall child mortality rate. So I think it's really, really important that we get this bit right. That's such an important statistic, isn't it, that I think we're probably not generally aware of. And we're very comfortable with delaying the clamping of the cord in a term baby now. That's been kind of standard practice for a number of years. But preterm birth is a little bit different. Um, Anzar, do you, would you be able to talk a little bit around what happens when we delay the clamping of the cord? Because I know the physiology is the same, whether it's probably a term baby or a preterm baby, but I don't think we really fully understand no. that. Yeah, no, thank you, Michelle. So um, with the preterm baby, we have to um, take a few things into account, the size of the baby, the gestational age of the baby, and think about the thermoregulation to support the baby during the transitions from in utero to ex utero life. And what happens is when the baby adapts to the life uh, once it's born, with, uh, if we clamp the cord immediately, prior to the onset of the lung duration, it restricts the flow to the heart, to the ventricles. And with then, if the baby fails to breathe, um, pulmonary vascular resistance remains high and compromises pulmonary blood flow and venous returns to the left ventricle. And that then decreases um, heart's sort of left ventricle preload and increases afterload. And therefore, it then compromises output. So that's if we cut the cord immediately. If we go more physiologically and allow the baby to transition uh, quite nicely um, after the birth, this transition is much more smoother. And if we um, allow the lungs to aerate, um, aerate um, the left ventricle pleurot still occurs from the two sources. So you keep the umbilical cord um, unclamped, so let it blood flow. And then that gives uh, blood to the um, a heart from the foramen ovale, and that's how the baby functions in fetal life. And then we allow baby, we stimulate the baby and allow baby to take the first breath, or we provide a gentle respiratory support, such as high flow or CPAP, whichever environment you're in. And that aerates the lungs and that allows the pulmonary blood flow to the heart as well. And you have much more stable cardiac output. And those babies just nicely and slowly transition um, after birth. Wow, we got into the science quite early there, didn't we? It sounds, um, <laughs> it all sounds fantastic. I think um, from personal experience, we were, we've seen challenges in achieving that, especially with preterm birth as this uh, general uh, perception that the cord should be clamped and cut straight away, baby handed to the neonatal team because they're the experts in this. What are some of the challenges, Aleri, from your perspective that you think um, would prevent us from being able to support optimal cord management? Yes, I think you've raised some really important issues there. And, and um, this is about um, team, team working and also the perception of, of um, who's responsible for that baby's care. And obviously, the more preterm the baby is, the more scary it is to just sit and not do something. It's much easier to do things actively than to actually not do something. Um, and, and I think there's also some issues with um, obstetricians and midwives feeling very responsible for that baby until the cord's cut and given to the, the neonatal team. 
And I think we need to try and move away from feeling that responsibility to feeling it's a more collective responsibility of the whole team to try and keep this baby um, uh, attached to the cord whilst the physiological process happens. So I think this is a hearts and minds thing. Um, really, really important that everyone feels that they, that they can contribute to this. Uh, and understands how important it is, both for massively reducing mortality, but also reducing blood transfusion, risk of blood transfusion reduces by about 10%, and it also reduces the chance of needing inotropes. So um, negative things are really hard, aren't they? You know, to not do something is much harder than to do something. So I think it's a question of the neonatal team and the obstetric and maternity teams really talking to each other, reassurance from the neonatal team is very much needed to ensure that people feel they can carry on and not clamp that cord. A minute is not very long, but it feels a long time when you've got a very tiny baby in front of you. Mm. It's probably not the best color in the world, probably not making full respiratory movements. You know, it can be it can be quite tough. And, and usually the smaller the baby, the harder it feels. Uh, but also the smaller the baby, probably the, the higher the impact of doing this treatment. So so I think it's a hearts and minds challenge as much as anything else. And, and you're right. A minute does feel like a very long time when you're sitting looking at this baby, feeling like you're not doing much. But of course, there are things that you can be doing in that minute, aren't there? And uh, do you want to talk about some of the things that might be happening during that first 60 seconds of birth? Yeah, and I think it's um, we took a simulation type approach and we uh, involved the midwives, obstetrics and anaesthetists to support everyone during this one minute, maybe two minutes if baby's doing really well during this um, delayed cord clamping. And, um, and it's human factors uh, play a massive role in really for us learning of that not doing much or doing minimal at supporting the baby uh, once it's born is quite important. And with the simulation, uh, we can practice these steps and we have that uh, joint maternity neonatal simulation happening monthly. And it's really important to um, uh, have this approach similar like NLS, you practice what you're doing it. So therefore you also practice how to stabilize a preterm baby um, after it's born. And we have steps in place and we allocate the roles so midwife know what to do, neonatal team knows what they do, and each members of neonatal team have a dedicated task. And in our unit, we use um, um, support uh, breathing with the portable high flow therapy unit, which also means that people have something to do, and therefore that minute uh, maybe goes quicker. And we already talked previously about maintaining normothermia. So we would put the baby in a plastic bag as we would discuss before. Very important to keep the airway open and gently stimulate baby at all times because not every baby will breathe straight away after birth. The research has shown it may take up to 90 seconds for baby to establish regular breathing, but it is doing that transition. And when we talked earlier about the um, what how baby transitions, you still have umbilical cord that delivers oxygen and blood and stem cells to the baby and maternal antibodies. So it's really important. And as Larry said, the smaller the baby, the more important that it gets that blood uh, because it reduces a lot of side effects of kind of prematurity. 
and it is about having that confidence in the placenta which is an amazing organ isn't it to do its job and continue to do its job even though the baby um, has been born how have you either of you got any thoughts on how this feels from the family's perspective um, in the same way that midwives might feel the anxiety of a baby needing to be handed to the neonatal team I'm assuming that maybe women that are giving birth feel similarly um, anxious about that first couple of minutes have you had any experience of that yeah I can go first so um, I feel that um, the talking to parents before and what they expect of the preterm birth is very different because all the news and media shows that as soon as baby borns they cry and everyone waits for this first cry but with preterm babies they don't always do that and we just need to continuously communicate with the parents and say that actually this is what we're doing your baby's doing fine you assess the heart rate baby may just you know little moan or tiny little kitten cry um as is moving his hands and feet so you can just tell the parents and we encourage mom and dad uh, or birthing partner to look at the baby and, and touch the baby where possible. We encourage the um, photos or videos to be taken during this process so they actually can see and have some evidence how their baby's doing. But I think it's important for us as the neonatal team and midwives to keep feeding back to the parents that it's okay, your baby doesn't cry, but he's breathing, he's doing well, and this is how it transitions. And, and it's so important and for mom's well-being and, and dad's and birthing partner well-being, it's important for them to see that actually this is this baby's doing all what he's supposed to be doing and it is normal, normal transition. So Larry, what about your side? Yeah, I, I think it's important that the family understands that there might be, you know, a few extra people are, are, are very close to the birthing area and that is something that um, families need to understand and once they understand that they're very happy for us to be there um, I think it's very nice that the baby doesn't get whisked straight off and they can see their child and and they feel very much more a part of what's happening and and the transition for the family is also slower than it is if they're just quickly whisked away onto the resuscitator and, you know. Um, so I, th I think that's really important. It gives us as a neonatal team much more of an opportunity, um, as Anda said, to just talk to the family in that first minute or two to tell them how things are and what's happening um, and to sort of encourage them not to be too frightened because the baby is much smaller. So I think in general, it's a, it's actually a really nice thing for families as long as you just keep them engaged and they know what to expect. Yeah, you're right. It's about setting expectations, isn't it, around um, that first couple of minutes. Um, what about unintended consequences of optimal cord management? Um, so I guess, are there any? Uh, if so, how do we um, how do we mitigate those? And And I wonder how families feel about that and whether whether we prepare them for that so probably lots of questions in one there so I guess are there any unintended consequences of um, delaying the clamping of the cord or when is it unsafe I, mean, I suppose I mean one thing I would think that there could be um, a side effect perhaps but it's not that much of a um, scientific proof is sometimes if you delay cord clamping for a really long time so like 10 minutes or 20 minutes and and if the cord is still beating and the risk of um, high bilirubin levels for the babies. Uh, so that's one of the things I could think um, 
comes to mind, um, unless Larry has any other um, side effects. So, so you know. um, and I think obviously the thing that people worry about most is that the baby's going to get cold while this is happening. Uh, and I think you do have to be careful that you're not allowing the baby to get cold. But if we do the occlusive wrap dressing for the small, smaller preterm babies and we do that properly, we make sure their heads are covered. Um, and if they do need um, further support, it, it, it's usual that we won't cause any, um, any significant hypothermia. But obviously you don't want your room to be freezing cold with lots of drafts because mm -hmm. um, that could be uh, an unintended consequence of actually doing the, the, the delay core clamping. I think we do need to be mindful of very rare situations where it would not be helpful. Um, and, and they are very, very rare, um, uh, far less so than, than, than most people think. And that really would be around a maternal hemorrhage, which is actually causing a very significant impact on the mother and likely to cause significant resuscitation for the mother. So very significant blood loss or where there is quite obviously a vasa previa, which means that the baby is loose, blood is being lost from the baby end of the placenta. So a, a standard sort of APH, no, that's not a, not a reason not to do this, but a, a full vasa previa where the blood is actually coming from the baby clearly would be a, a reason. But these reasons are very, very rare, but important that people are aware of them. Um, but I would say, yeah, the main the main issues that may come up are around cooling the baby inadvertently by not doing the thermal care properly during um, delay core clamping. And, um, you know, if there is a lot of um, toing and froing with how long the baby's on or, or or moving the placenta up and down inadvertently to to make a, a large transfusion happen, uh, you can get some inadvertent problems with polycythemia. But these are these these are um, easily manageable in almost all situations so the benefits ask, uh, yeah. outweigh the risks then in that yeah situation i would just sure. say um one more thing is that we've come across is sometimes um general anesthetic um mm -hmm. is people think that you can't have a baby to have a delayed cord clamping but actually generally all of the GA sections are quite rapid in induction GA sections that it mostly wouldn't affect the baby. So our suggestion would be assess the baby as you would do anyway, and look how the baby is um, vigorous and what the heart rate is, and then continue with the late cord clubbing if your baby is well enough. But that sometimes I've come across and people wouldn't think. The one other thing is um, looking at the twin to twin transfusion syndrome and looking at the antenatal scans and what the baby's um, um, heart, uh, fetal heart is doing. So and in some cases, the baby who's a recipient twin may not be beneficial to have a extra blood because the heart may already be in failure. So okay. have, when you have a twin to twin, just have a look what antenatal scans shows, discuss with the uh, consultant obstetrician to know what's happening, whether it is beneficial for both or for one. Those would be just two added things. Okay. And I'm thinking of um, our local data, some of the reasons or the two, I guess the two main reasons why we haven't achieved delayed cord clamping are um, anxiety around a need for resuscitation. Um, and the second is a placental abruption. And that's often why we, we're in the situation of the baby being born prematurely. So in with placental abruption, is there any benefit to cord milking or what's the general advice around um, how we should manage that? 
Yeah, so if we have a placental abruption, there's probably two things. Baby comes out with the placenta, if you still have a placenta, if it's not completely ruptured. Um, then um, if the baby is over 28 weeks of the gestation, then only you can perform umbilical cord milking. And that's uh, proven to be as beneficial as one minute of delayed cord clamping. So if the delayed cord clamping is not possible, umbilical cord milking is an option, but only for over 28 weeks. Um, alternatively, um, other thing that comes that if baby has been born in the sac or with a placenta that is still intact, what you could do is have a um, mechanical kind of delayed cord clamping essentially performed by obstetrician rather than like uterus. So if obstetrician holds the placenta in the hands and raises about, you know, five, 10 centimeters above the baby and then squeeze, apply gentle pressure for like one minute, then that essentially will deliver delayed cord clamping to the baby. Um, so that's two options that um, we can do in these scenarios. Okay. And I think I was just gonna add, really important to understand why we don't do um, cord milking in the babies under mm. 28 weeks. And that is because of an, uh, uh, one study which does show an increase in uh, intraventricular hemorrhage uh, in those in that gestation babies. So, uh, but um, uh, in other in all other respects, the the same um, improvement is seen with um, with um, delayed uh, with cord milking compared with delayed cord clamping. But obviously, there is this higher risk of intraventricular hemorrhage, which is why it's not recommended for the babies that are under twenty eight weeks. Okay, and um, and the need for resuscitation is that often? Do you think born out of just a uh, an anxiety around waiting for that first minute um when when would you as as you know skilled competent clinicians when would you say okay no we need to intervene uh let's clamp the cord now what would trigger yeah. that for you yeah so it's definitely um it requires experience and we would say that most experienced um person goes uh, and scrubs up with the obstetrician assess the baby at the at the cord end um, but clearly if we have a baby who is um, white and non-vigorous and there is no heart rate then yes we need to start uh, resuscitation as per NLS however there's recently also have come a study out that shows that um, if the baby is um, you know near term or over 28 weeks and is non-vigorous at birth with no heart rate that actually cord milking is still okay to do because that will deliver uh, blood to the heart. And when we talked earlier that it um, provides a better cardiac output if you have a blood. So that kind of makes sense then to deliver, um, milk the cord and then go to the resuscitation if requires. But yes, we would be only, you know, assess the baby first, do a, your first step of NLS uh, with the cord intact. So look the baby, uh, keep the airway open, stimulate the baby, assess the heart rate. And by that, hopefully already be 30 to 40 seconds. And if the baby's not responding, then yes, cut the cord. But if it is responding, see if you can get to that one minute. And I think by applying portable high flow for all of our babies, that also supports because it gives some stimulation and air and oxygen mix to the baby for them to start initiating the respiratory um, effort. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important that stimulation is definitely some, you know, an active process. Um, uh, that needs to happen during that first minute. I think when babies are, if babies are very white, 
um, you should definitely be checking. If there is absolutely no heart rate and, and no response, then you should be clamping the cord early and going for resuscitation. But for most babies, you'll find that they're perhaps not fully pink, but they are actually looking um, a reasonable color, may not be doing too much breathing, perhaps a little bit of breathing. So gentle stimulation, um, you know, um, stroking the baby gently um, can, can be very, really helpful to try and just encourage and stimulate the baby to start breathing. Um, don't forget that um, if the placenta is still functioning, so uh, obviously where you've got a zero heart rate and the baby's very white, that placenta probably isn't functioning, so it's not going to help so much. Uh, but where the placenta is functioning, they will still be getting oxygenated blood, they will still be getting some support. So don't feel that um, the baby's completely on their own trying to breathe by themselves. They are actually still getting some support from the placenta for that first minute. So um, really important to do that. So it's actually very rare that a baby will come out who is truly shocked and actually has, has, um, has no heart rate or very, very slow heart rate. That's actually relatively unusual. Thank you. Um, so we've talked a little bit, or we've talked quite a lot actually about the physiology, why it's important, how that, um, how that might impact families positively or negatively and some of the challenges that you've seen. And I'm conscious we're coming to the end of our time now, but I just want to talk a little bit about the um, Matt Neo Safety Improvement Programme because uh, we've been monitoring our performance around this. I know locally, uh, when we started the programme, our performance was very poor, as you would expect, because it's not something that we had as part of our routine practice. But we've quite quickly seen some really dramatic improvement in the results. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit more in the context of maybe the regional or national data uh, that tells us how we're doing and where we might still have a bit of a gap to close. Yes, yeah, so I'll talk about our um regional data and maybe Larry has got some wider data available. Uh, so we started the project in um, um, late 2020 in Oxford um, and then I think the COVID hit um, and then we stalled a little bit our project and then we're waiting for the BAPAM um, OCM guideline to be produced and we adapted our um, guideline based on that. So Thames Valley in Wessex is the network we're talking about, so that's where we all belong to. And in 2020, uh, only 29% of babies received optimal cord management or delayed cord clamping. Year on year, we have made a massive improvement. And now as a network, we are sitting at 57%. So that's great. We nearly doubled where we are. But if you're looking even more closer, we kind of fall more under the Bob um, network. So Berkshire, Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire. And um, if we look at the last quarter, we're about 74%. So all of our units have made massive improvement. And we've done that as a, as a team. I think we uh, followed um, one guideline. We met uh, together uh, with the sort of task and finish groups. And we had representatives from each unit, from neonates and maternity. And I think by having this kind of ear to listen and brainstorming sessions, it has helped all of us because our babies are within our network and it transfers in or out. And so generally, hopefully, we'll see the long-term benefit for these babies. Um, if we, yeah, we had some of the units that were about 13% to start with, and they've now in 60s and 70s. So I think overall, big project. 
Thanks, Sandra. That's a really useful um, insight into how we're performing as a region. Aleri, are you able to talk a little bit more about the national data and how we're performing? Yes. So um, I, I, I think people are aware that this is something that is being measured through the National Neonatal Audit Project, um, which is a national HQIT run audit across the UK. Um, and um, the data was collected first around delayed claw clamping, sorry, delayed cord clamping uh, in 2020, which demonstrated that for the preterm population, uh, only around a third, just under a third of babies were um, receiving delayed cord clamping or perhaps were receiving it, but it hadn't been recorded properly. So I think it's important to remember that perhaps sometimes uh, the recording of the of what you've done is as, as important as anything. Um, during 2021, the full results are not released, but um, it looks like around 43% of units were managing to do delayed cord clamping um, in 2021 which still means there's an awful lot of progress that can be made. So um, the best performing units are uh, well, operating around 75 to 80% delayed cord clamping. And so clearly there are some units that were not doing it at all. Um, so I think there's, um, it, it really is a hearts and mind project, but, but so much opportunity for us to reduce mortality uh, uh, in this population by adopting what is actually a relatively simple measure that does not cost lots of money. It's about hearts and minds. And you're right, it doesn't cost us a penny and that's what's important. Um, do, so how do we close that gap? If I'm um, a midwife or a doctor or a student midwife or a neonatal nurse working in a maternity unit right now, what can I do to try and improve that statistic? So I, I think we'd say, you know, get involved with the quality improvement. Um, make sure that you spread the word to all your colleagues about the importance of doing this, maybe watching this um, podcast so that um, people really understand how what a big difference it makes and how important it is. I think coming to the simulations and having some um, opportunities to ask questions to allay fears and to be involved with that is really, really important. And I think it's it's just spreading that message that we can do this um, as a community, but we need to talk to each other to make this happen. Thank you. Um, and it's been really great talking to both of you this morning. I'm very grateful for your time um, because I know it's precious. And before we finish up, anything else you want to add, any kind of final comments around preterm birth optimization in general. Uh, this is obviously a massive topic, but um, if there's anything you would like to add, either of you. Well, I think there's, we all can participate. And I think that's the beauty of it. You know, we as a team can um, have something beneficial for this baby and this family's life because um, it reduces mortality. It also reduces other problems such as intramedical hemorrhage, late onset sepsis, um, uh, perimedical leukomalacia so long-term neurodevelopmental outcome also is improved if we do these first few steps right and there's lots of literature out that people can source themselves listening to this podcast back again that will help and remind them but really you know speak to your team leaders um, midwives and anyone can start the project and be part of it if they want and as Elary said hearts and minds is really 
a good term to use, you know, because you have to be kind of full on in, um, but understanding and really delivering this high quality care to the babies. Thanks, Ander. Okay, well, it's been great. Um, I'm very grateful. And um, this will go out as a series of podcasts that will talk about each of the different elements of the BAPM preterm birth optimization bundle. Um, we will put links to that on this podcast. If anybody wants to uh, get into the detail, then they will be able to do that now. But thanks again for your time. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. And fantastic that you're doing the podcast. I really hope it helps people to understand how important this is for us all to take on.